Hello and welcome to Politically Speaking, the greatest podcast in the world. <laughs> I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio in St. Louis is... Joe Manis. And... Rachel Lippman. And... My very special guest today. Our my, very special well, guest. Our special guest, but <laughs> mine as well, because this is my alderwoman in the city of St. Louis. Donna Berenger. It is so great that we have a preponderance of 16th Ward residents on this podcast now, <laughs> which means we can vote the other two off whenever we want. Um, it's a it's a thrill to have you on today. Um, Wait, when did this become Survivor all of a sudden? <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 the ruthlessness of the majority sometimes. That <laughs> I love stands. that show. He just, he just came back from a couple of days in Jeff City. He get cut rubs off on him. Yeah, I think I've lost my mind. So, you know, everybody should know where the 16th ward is because it's probably the best ward in the entire world but for the people that don't know where Which is it is most of the world Go ahead, uh, tell, tell me tell me what what area of the city that you represent okay the 16th ward is in the southwest part of the city of st louis it starts at mackland so i have the west side of mackland and then we go down chippewa and that is the northern border and then when you get to lansdowne i shoot to lansdowne towards the metrolink station and then the southernmost border is Loughborough, and it wraps around towards Wilmore Park, but I don't have Wilmore Park in there. I jump over River to Pear, and I have areas that have Afton, Shrewsbury, and Webster Grove zip codes. So mm. I'm actually over on the other side of River to Pear where people don't realize that's still the city. It is, and that is a, a misconception that some people have that St. Louis is uh, bordered by the River de Pere. If you actually go over it, there's still a little bit of St. Louis in it. And in fact, that's the part of St. Louis where Steve Stanger, a very famous 16th Ward native, grew up. So Yes, and his father still lives in that house and is my constituent. And now, periodically over the decades, the 16th Ward has been represented by a Republican. Correct? Well, until Jim Shrewsbury, correct. Right, right, right. I mean, I'm going way before that. Yeah. <laughs> it and, was Republican. And, and, and there's still, I think, a decent amount of Republicans that still live there. Because if you go back to 2012, Mitt Romney got around 40 percent of the vote in the 16th Ward, which means that people who run for local offices or even state legislative offices, I don't think they can really afford to just rip Republicans left and right, because those are going to be the people that vote you into office because they might be pulling a Democratic uh, ballot. Is that a fair assessment? It's right on the spot because we just had an election and my Republicans, who very much support me, did put my sign up, but they covered up the word Democrat on it. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, this is just sort of always something I've, I've wondered. Does it make even sense with the city of St. Louis to have party elections anymore? Is there I mean, this is not at all what we were scheduled to talk about. But, you know, what about kind of nonpartisan elections? Does it make any difference would it make more of a difference if there was more of a party presence elsewhere? Or? No, nobody cares if it's, if you're Republican or Democrat as long as the trash is picked up, the streets are cleaned, and the lights are on. And we've also talked about why are we doing it you know, in the spring because of the cost to the city of St. Louis. As a fiscal conservative, I worry about the cost of having these elections in March and in April versus having them in August and November. Mm -hmm. And I, Would that take a state law to change that, or could you do that with the Board of Aldermen? They might be able to, I mean, as long as those, those dates are sanctioned by the state, which they are, um, I mean, see, in the March one actually is rare. There's very few territories in the, in the state that do the March date. It is very unusual. But um, before we kind of delve into that topic a little more, tell me a little bit about yourself, 
kind of your background and how you got into city politics. <laughs> I'm only laughing because when people actually find out my background, they're kind of surprised. First of all, I'm not originally from St. Louis. Um, I grew up in Jefferson City, Missouri until I was going into high school and my father got transferred from Jefferson City to St. Louis. But as a little girl growing up in Jefferson City, my mother worked in the Capitol. And then my sister, everyone in my family has pretty much worked in Jefferson City in the government. I was the baby. I was the only one that came to St. Louis. Now your father was in the painting business? He worked for Benjamin Moore Paints. Okay, that's what I thought. Some mm -hmm. of my favorite paints. <laughs> so, and so where'd you end up going to high school when you came back? All right, when we moved to St. Louis, um, my mom and dad were looking for a house, and they actually looked in St. Louis Hills, but the realtor told them the city wasn't a place to put a child in school, and they convinced my parents to go to West County. And I went to Parkway West. That is the high school I went to. I am a Longhorn. And in my senior year in high school, my parents and I had come into the city, and they fell in love with the city. They wanted to move to the city, and I was all for it. So uh, January of 1981, we moved into the mansion house, 18th floor, facing the arch with a balcony, and I thought I was the coolest person on the earth. But you, commuted, but you commuted to school every day in Parkway West to finish up your senior year? I sure did. And then I would bring the kids from the county into the city, and they were like, this is so cool. They just, you know, it was. I really loved it. Well, uh, did you say the mansion house, like yes. in, on 4th Street? Yes. Yeah. Yes. The mansion house used to be quite the, the address back in the day. I, uh, I used to work across the street from that, and I know that it was featured in the movie Up in the Air, yeah. mm -hmm. if you remember yeah. that. Mm -hmm. So. That is a, a neat fact that I think, probably I think people that was didn't the, know. That was where all of the hotel scenes or his apartment scenes were filmed, right? Correct. George Clooney's Correct. apartment scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, I know that you had a number of different private uh, sector jobs before the early 2000s. Now, set the scene a little bit. Jim Shrewsbury had been the alderman for many, many years. Mm -hmm. He eventually was elevated to board of aldermen president, I guess, after Francis Slay was elected mayor in 2001. Yes. I guess there was yeah. eventually a vacancy there. Um, tell me about why you decided to, to end up running for his seat. It's a very interesting story. Um, what you don't realize is that when you're in politics, um, and you want to see if you're going to leave the seat you're in, you want to see the seat you have, go to someone who will do just as good, if not a better job than yourself. And I had been very active in the neighborhood. And I had, I'd, done, I'd done a letter writing campaign to then Governor Carnahan not to take away the tax credits. They were going to re remove the word distressed. So he was watching me. And I was standing in the back room. I was on the Southampton Neighborhood Association board. And he just walked up to me and said, hey, have you ever thought about running for office? And I thought, no. And you, when you say he, do you mean Jim, Jim Shrewsbury? Jim Shrewsbury. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I said, no. And he said, well, you should think about it. You are, you know, you have a great background. I've seen some of the things you've done. I think you'd be great for the city. And mm -hmm. just walked away. Okay. Now, another few months come by, and he said, have you thought about it? And I said, well, I kind of did. And he goes, I want you to do me a favor. I'm going to drop off a VCR tape, and I want you to watch it. And after you watch it, we're going to meet. So I said, okay. So he drops off a VCR tape, so it tells you how long ago it was. And I watched the tape. It's a two-hour documentary, and it was done by PBS. And basically what it does is it takes three candidates who are running for office. One's an alderman in Chicago. One's up east, and she's running for United States Senate. And I can't remember the third. But the bottom line is all three of those candidates are awesome. You fall in love with them. Everything about them, everything they stand for, they are just the person you want to win. But most of them are going up against a machine. And so you get through it, and I cried at the end because they all lost. Every one of them lost. Someone put a lot of money, their own money, into this race. 
And so I met with Jim. And, and he said, what did you think? And I said, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> because I, if, from talking with you before, your first race, you were running against two more established candidates, including a former state representative. For 12 years. And, That's correct. And um, on paper, you may have not been seen as the favorite in that race because you were not established in politics. But how did you end up eventually pulling ahead and, and winning that first tough contest? Well, I had run a nonprofit corporation, an improvement corporation, and I had made some significant changes on the South Kings Highway area. So I had a proven track record of being able to make a difference and move people. And then I also have a master's degree in corporate communications. And I knew that when you talk face to face to people, when you look them in the eye and they tell you this is what they want and you speak to them, that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. I started door knocking the day after Thanksgiving and didn't stop until the day before the second race. I had a primary and a general. Mm -hmm. So the, the Republicans wanted to take the seat back. So they worked very hard on this. Yeah, because this is, I, I've said this before on the show, but the 16th ward, as Joe alluded to, is one of maybe two or three wards where a Republican mm -hmm. could conceivably win. The other is the 12th ward, which right. had a Republican for many years. 12th or 13th? Uh, 12th. 12th, okay. And I guess conceivably a 23rd is, is a possibility, outside possibility. But the 16th and the 12th are one where a lot of Republicans win. So you had kind of double campaigns where most aldermen didn't during that time. But you ended up winning. Mm -hmm. You've won several more times, including um, a contested primary in 2011 against former circuit clerk Mariano Favaza and another candidate, which you won very handily. And this last election cycle was a barn burner. Uh, you yes. had literally uh, no opponent at all. <laughs> so, But, um, you, you know. But it, I still worked it. Yeah. I never take it for I, I never take advantage of that. And I wanted to make sure that the people of the sixteenth ward still got out and voted. That's very important because the sixteenth ward makes up twenty to twenty two percent of all votes cast in an election. Yes, citywide. And especially citywide. In a, and especially like a mayoral mayoral race, mm -hmm. uh, like in two thousand and thirteen, for example. Wards like the 16th and the 23rd and the 12th are pretty critical mm -hmm. for someone like Mayor Slay to win. If they didn't turn out, he might have not have won against Lewis Reed. And they turned out big, and they turned out big for him. Well, so. the 16th has sometimes been key makers, going back to previous mayoral contests, where it's been the 16th that's made the difference yeah. in close races. Yeah, and that was very important, and that's why some people don't realize I was one of the big advocates. I put my own time and own money into cutting the Board of Aldermen in half. We met every week, and I worked every poll in that election, and we pulled we pulled out a huge number. And that's why I tell people, I said, anytime you want a ballot initiative to go in the city of St. Louis, you need to find out where the 16th Ward stands, because mm -hmm. that is important. Yeah. You will turn out the numbers. So now let's talk a little, let's go a little forward thinking, because after the April elections, there's going to be you know, mainly most incumbents won, but there's going to be several new faces to the Board of Aldermen. What are you kind of envisioning the, the, the tenor and the mood is going to be when you come back in April with some new members and some people who are returning like yourself? Well, um, I keep hearing the word progressive, and um, I am a progressive person. And so I'm hoping that the new people coming on board who are calling themselves progressives will be progressives. Because the city of St. Louis does need to look at its government structure. We need to start thinking about, in order to move forward, what do we need to do? How does that look? And as our, you know, our population shrinks, it's hurting us. And so 
there are people like myself. I welcome progressive. I can't wait to, to meet with some. I don't know. There's a couple I, I don't personally know, but I look forward to working with. Well, the, the new, new ones are Megan. Well, Megan Green Megan is Green's already been there. Cara yeah. uh, Spencer, assuming she wins her general election, will she be there. She have an opponent. In the yeah, she She's does. Got a green, she has right? an independent. Yeah, oh, independent. Okay. And yeah. we we learned from the Scott Ogilvie situation that you don't want to put the cart before the horse there. Correct. And Jack Kotar who will almost certainly be the new 7th Ward alderman. Because there's no Republican. Yeah, and I think what you meant is like people like Megan Green and Cara Spencer kind of branded themselves as progressive alternatives to, I don't want to say conservative Democratic candidates, but ones that, for example, had the support of the Police Officers Association are tend to be a little bit more aligned with Mayor Slay than with Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed. I guess traditional is sort of the opposite word, not necessarily conservative as, as it's thought of, but just sort you of can, the, You can yeah. name whatever label you like, but that's basically well, what it, it was. Well, it seems like at least um, that the Board of Aldermen has, as a group, gotten a little younger and yuppier, to use the old phrase that's before some people's time. I mean... Look, when I covered it back in the late 70s, it was all old white guys who had been there for decades and 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 one or two women. Now it's so totally different. And you have a lot of people, more professionals. I mean, it's just a very different. I think, what, 11 or 12 are women now? So it's almost, it's not quite half, but it's like 35 or 40 percent of the board are women. Mm-hmm. How do you think that has changed things over like the last 10 plus years you've been there? Well, (laughs) without going into, you know, huge detail, because, I mean, I, like I said, I talk communications, and I talk communications between the sexes, so I know that we think differently, we act differently. And so I always like a nice potpourri. I think it's really good to have a little bit of everything, age, you know, uh, cultural backgrounds, you know, male, female. I like diversity, because that allows me to see someone else's point of view, and it also allows them to see my point of view. You mentioned uh, when we were kind of talking before the show about the turnout in this last election, how very, very low it was. Now, I think in a ward like ours, where you were facing no opponent and Lewis Reed didn't really face an opponent, I can understand why the turnout was low comparably. I still think that people came out and voted, but not to the level of 2013. Right. Um, I guess citywide, though, it was below 10 percent, even when places where there were competitive elections. What do you kind of take What do you kind of make of that situation? It bothers me. It bothers me more than people realize. I'm a very big picture person. I'm not into the parochial fiefdom. And so when I look at the city of St. Louis and I say to myself, here you had some really contested races. And we had winners who didn't even make 500 votes. And 500 votes came in my ward with nothing on the ballot. So if you're not going to come out when you have a contested aldermanic race where actually your alderman has the biggest impact on your everyday life, then that tells me that you're not going to be paying attention to how any other race in the future, when it's a city race, is going to impact you. Were you, you uh, should. Were you surprised, for example, the Board of Aldermen, President Reed, didn't have like a, a legitimate, credible opponent running against him? And do you think that impacted the turnout? Yes. I, mean, I was not surprised he did not have. And I do know it did impact the turnout. Yeah, because if it was a if, if, for example, let's say Shane Cohn had run against him or Jennifer Florida had not been recorder of deeds and decided to run against him for board of aldermen president, I think the turnout would have been higher because it would have been there have been more people and more organization trying to get out the vote for those two people. But 
again, with all due respect to Jimmy Matthews, he didn't raise any money. He was basically campaigning by himself, and he basically gave the Board of Aldermen president a pass because nobody else ran against him. Correct. Do you think any of the the current news stuff for the last six months, you know, Ferguson, some of the protests around Shaw, not that it would have had a, a, a direct link, but I just wondered if it kind of affected the mood of the electorate at all and might have affected things. Um, I think it did maybe one or two individual wards, but I'm curious as to kind of your thoughts as far as whether or not the latest events, that, the Rams, all this other stuff, had had some effect on the mood of the electorate at all. Oh, I absolutely do think it did. Um, we were just, our city is still, I still see us wounded. We're still walking around wounded. Um, we have not healed. And so I don't think anybody was up for any type of a, a, a political election or race that would bring any more negative tone to our city. Actually, that that inadvertently segues into a clip that I want to play from uh, Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed, who kind of talked about the divisions of the city in general. And I kind of wanted to play that and get your response to it. The division that exists within St. Louis is something that we now have an opportunity to address. And we, you know, and I'm talking about the racial division in our city. Because now we're having, we, we are forced in a position where we have to have those difficult discussions. And before, you know, those discussions just weren't happening. So I know, you know, Lewis Reed defeated Jim Shrewsbury. I don't think that you're a particular ally of Lewis Reed. But given what Joe just said and what he just said, is our city kind of at this crossroads where we can talk about issues of race and racial divisions more openly? And what do you kind of think of all of that? No. Um, Rachel's down at the Board of Aldermen. She has seen the toxicness that's gone on down there. And um, you just sit there and listen. But I, I've i seen things that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime, ever. Can you be specific, like with an example or two? No, I don't want to I don't want to call people out. Well, I don't mean like specific people, but if there are specific types of behavior or uh, things that that you think that have created this toxic situation? I think when you stand up and you posture on the floor of the Board of Aldermen and you, you paint that broad stroke brush about how, you know, only, you know everyone on this side's getting something and everyone on this side isn't, and that's, that's so in, invalid and so incorrect. And I don't think we're having any discussions. All we have right now is a monologue. There is no dialogue going on. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be a part of the dialogue, but... Like I said, I don't see dialogue happening, just a monologue. Well, let's kind of go to an actual issue where I think that there is kind of two very distinct sides, and that's the mm-hmm. police board. Mm-hmm. Um, Civilian oversight Rachel, board. Rachel, we, we, I always ask you to kind of explain the background because I don't pay attention to it day to day, and I have a one-year-old baby that I take care of most of the time rather than focus on the board's uh, I, I can't understand why, why Brandon would be a higher priority than the intricacies of it's, Civilian it's, Oversight this Board. This is just me punting for, for being spacey, but tell us a little bit about that. So um, as it stands right now, uh, Civilian Oversight Board would be a seven-member board drawn from all over the the city. I think each ward would be, uh, each of the wards is divided. There's four wards to sort of each police uh, civilian oversight district. 
Uh, members would be appointed by the mayor, confirmed by the Board of Aldermen, and they would essentially be overseeing internal investigations and, as it's written right now, could, under certain circumstances, launch their own investigations if they don't think internal affairs did it correctly. Um, there's language in there that the police want to see removed that would allow them to sit in on interviews between internal affairs investigators and an officer under investigation. And there's other provisions that basically say they have to investigate all complaints that come to them and the board can take a complaint to internal affairs. It's another level of of review, oversight, however the term you want to use. Um, it was at first tried in 2006. Mayor vetoed it because he didn't believe the state had the or the city had the authority to do so at the time under the charter. So I think you come at it from a little bit of a different perspective than some of our other guests because I'm pretty sure a lot of police officers live in our ward or live in the twelfth ward. And I think that the police officers association is that in the sixteenth ward, the headquarters, or is that in no. Ogilvy's ward? It's it's on Hampton. It's Vicaro. I, I, oh, Vicaro. I, I drive by it every single day. But um you know, we've had people on the show before who are very gung-ho about the police board, um, people who weren't endorsed by the Police Officers Association. What's kind of your take on this entire situation coming from the perspective that you have? Yeah. Well, first of all, anyone who knows me knows the first thing I look at is what's it going to cost? We're a city that does not have any money. So when um, I looked at some other civilian review boards in other parts of the United States, they have line, they're in the budget, they have money. And so, and, and what I'm saying, not money to pay people to be on it, but rather to make it function correctly. And so I have people who live in my ward who put in their resume to me saying, I wanna be on the civilian review board. And they said, but here's my concerns. And they outlined, you know, from a lawyer standpoint, one of the questions was, I'm not covered. If something goes wrong and I serve on this board, there's no insurance on me, they can go after me. And so, you need, you, we need to protect whoever's on that from being sued. So I, I looked at that. I looked at the cost of, okay, who's going to keep the records? Who's going to take the records? Where are the meetings going to be? How are we going to do this? So I looked more at the process, mm-hmm. and the process wasn't answered. And while that doesn't have to be answered in every piece of legislation, you have to admit this is not a regular piece of legislation. It's a major, major it's piece a of major. legislation. And so when I looked at it, I said to myself, okay, I have questions, but, you know, I don't know where to go at this point because it was not. I went to the one hearing that was yeah, at City the one, Hall. The one the, public hearing. Where the brawl broke out, where things I never thought I'd hear someone say into a microphone were said. They were so lewd and crude that I just, like most people, just shut down. It's like if we can't even have a discussion about this, then why are we even looking at it? Because th- you shouldn't be allowed to say certain things when you're on the floor testifying. It's, it's interesting because I kind of mentioned before we've had other people on this show and talked about it. One of them was Christine Ingracia, who I would classify as kind of a more progressive V type of mm-hmm. alder woman. But when she was on our show, she had concerns about the fact that the Police Officers Association was not in the loop, at least at the point in time when she was on the mm-hmm. show. Well, let's hear a clip from her. I was a little bit disappointed. There were a lot of folks at the table with Alderman Kennedy drafting that bill, but nobody looped in the Police Officers Association. And um, I think that's unfortunate because I think they should have been at the table to have um, their two cents put in. Now, do you agree with her on that? If that is the case, if they were never brought to the table. So I, I have not talk, spoken to Alderman Kennedy to have that confirmed. So I'm not saying it's she is or isn't saying That's true. And I just got to note for our listeners and for you, that mm-hmm. was uh, a few weeks ago. It's possible that they have been brought to the table. But it, 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 I'm pointing that out because in the initial process, it 
that's what she said. So mm-hmm. basically, right. it's it's a historical document of how the legislative process right. has gone so far. The, the, the wrinkle in all of this, mm-hmm. too, is that if you do even start bringing people in, unless the, the way the, the Board of Aldermen schedule is now, unless um, Terry Kennedy, Joe Rohde, and Louis Reed, one, two of the three of them, decide to call the board back into session, there's no way to make changes right now. They need another session day to make any kind of changes to this bill, or it has to go out if they're going to pass it as it's written. So I kind of wanted to um, get your take, if if we've got a little bit of time, if, you know, you think that as it's written, it'll go out. Do you think the board will come back? Like, what what do you think is going to happen to this? Will it pass the session, or is this going to happen with the next board? Well, I, I wish I could answer that straight up for you, Rachel, but I, I really can't. And the reason is, is I have not spoken to ha- most of the people on the Board of Aldermen. When we left, it was um, right at, before an election, so no one has really gotten together. I can say that I have concerns about the way it is now, but it here's the thing. you, you It's like... <laughs> You're either on one side or the other, mm-hmm. and it makes it difficult for people like myself who are, try to be in the middle, mm-hmm. who try to understand, because that's the way I've always been. I'm empathetic. I learn both sides. I try to consume why you think the way you think and why you're going to vote the way you vote or you need me to vote, and I see what's in the best interest of the city of St. Louis. So I say to myself, a good, responsible civilian review board legislation is not a bad idea. Is this one it? I can't answer that that's exactly my answer that would be yes. And it still sits in that piece of legislation that a police officer cannot be discourteous to anyone. And if that's the case, then we need to add discourteous to the floor of the Board of Aldermen, too. And we need to add it to every hearing we have. You, I mean, can't, you can't be here if you're going to be discourteous. Is there a definition of what discourteous is? No. No. Well, that, no. that may actually be a legitimate legal problem. So because mm-hmm. people just define words all the time a lot differently. So but, but to in summation, I mean, as Rachel mentioned, we don't know whether it's going to just be voted on in this form or whether they're going to go back and make changes. And that, I assume, is going to affect of how you vote on that bill. Correct. Is that fair to say? That okay. is fair. I just wanted to make sure of that 100 percent. Let's kind of transition to the Rams. We all love pro football in the 16th Ward and in the 8th Ward and in Webster Groves. Joe is from Webster Groves, by the way. And um, it, it's kind of a issue that's going on right now citywide mm-hmm. about whether the Rams are going to stay in the city of St. Louis. And I think it concerns the Board of Aldermen because there's this mini debate going on about whether the city, the county, or the state should have some sort of a, another vote to actually publicly fund the stadium. I'm sure you're familiar with the issue. What's kind of your your, your lay of the land on that particular aspect of this? Well, when I was the chair of Convention of Tourism, I had met with Kitty Ratcliffe, and she explained in pretty much detail everything that had to do with the current stadium, with everything that worked with the Rams and, and how all those were set up. And the one thing I can't—I told my constituents then is if they're going to use your tax dollars to build a new stadium, that you have the right to vote on it because it's your tax dollars. So the city of St. Louis residents heard it from me, and that's the way it was told to me. If you're going to use taxpayers' money, then you have to vote to use your money. Yeah, because there have been some who have said you don't need another vote because it's a bond extension. But I, even if it's it's sort of a situation like even if you don't need one, I think that there's still kind of talks about whether they're going to have one anyways, just so they could have that public support behind it and kind of starve off any, any legal issues. Is that right. kind of your impressions as well? I think so. I just want to make sure people know, I think 
I think the St. Louis Jaguars would be a great team. And I think a stadium would be awesome. And I think it would be great to be able to have some, you know, soccer, SEC games. And I would like to see development. I love development. Development means more tax dollars, more money that's coming to the city of St. Louis. But I don't know. Nothing's been presented to the Board of Aldermen. Mm -hmm. And I only know from historically when I served as the chair what I was told and how that works. Because, oh, continue, Jeff. Now, does the, does the fact that there's been sort of this upheaval over this uh, proposed uh, stadium in California and all this and that and how that's sort of now abated – uh, does that strengthen St. Louis's hand, do you think, in dealing with these teams who, not just the Rams, but, you know, there was this whole thing 20 years ago of public payment, public support, which led to the bond issue, which led to the construction of the stadium. And now the public sentiment in most places is you want it, you build it. Right. So I'm just interested in whether or not um, this soap opera that's been going on in California has affected the deliberations in the city hall at all over this. Well, we've been on break, so I'm going to say that I've not had any serious conversations with anyone at city hall regarding this. But I do know when I'm out in the 16th ward, when I'm with my residents, they are truly offended by the fact that the Rams were in California. I mean, the in California, they were right. all dressed as Rams. They're like, come on, we'll take you. We'll build you anything you want. You can have anything you want. And they were like, they want them that bad. Take them. But we still want a football team. It's not mm-hmm. that we don't want a football team. It's just that maybe it's not the Rams. But Yes. As it, was, as it was alluded to before, I was in Jefferson City the last couple of days. And I know you're a city policymaker, but I talked with somebody from the Kansas City side of the fence mm-hmm. who's been really questioning whether the governor can just extend bonds by fiat. It's Ryan Silvey, a Republican from Clay County. He provided an interesting perspective because Jackson County has done stadium overhauls with local money. Let's hear what he has to say. And I don't think that um, that should be done unilaterally. I think that the people or their representatives should have a say in, in that process. Now, keep in mind, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do a stadium proposal or that the state shouldn't have some participation in it. What I'm saying is, insofar as the state does participate in one, it should be a collective decision, not the decision of one person. So I guess that, as we, you just said, that philosophy of either in the state having the legislature vote to extend the bonds or in the city and the county having the people vote to extend the bonds, that would be a philosophy that you have some favorability with. Is that a fair assessment? That is a very fair assessment. Yeah. Kind of going to your sort of fiscal conservative angle, too, as well, though. I mean, is there a place for public funding in some of these stadiums? Um, you know, if, if football's such a big deal in, in St. Louis, why haven't we seen sort of the, you know, white knight riding in on the horse to say, here is the money to, to rehab the dome? We've kind of known this is kind of, it's been percolating since the whole top 25% thing came out in the lease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, you're, you're probably talking to the wrong person. And the only reason I say that is because I do have issues sometimes with the different uh, programs that are out there, including TIFFs and SIDS and the different things that are out there. So I do have issues, and I like to see the, the market run things at times versus us supplementing. Yeah, and while you, are, you have gained a lot of seniority on the board of aldermen and you are the, a committee chairman, I think that this decision is kind of going to be through executive level with governor, mayor, county executive, and maybe the board of aldermen will get a say on where to put this type of thing on the ballot. Um, but I want to transition because we have only have a few minutes left about your political future. Mm-hmm. Um, you just won re-election. 
uh, for likely another four years. Well, we have April. We have April, but assuming that you don't lose to an invisible, non-existing <laughs> candidate, you will be back <laughs> for four years. But, you know, there's a state representative seat that is going to be open because Michelle Cracky, for, and for full disclosure, her son is my next-door neighbor. Hello, Mark, by the way. Um, she's going to be termed out. And I have always wondered whether you were interested in that seat because you had, in a previous job, gone to Jefferson City a lot. You're from Jefferson City. You know the legislative process. Is that something you're taking a look at right now? Well, I can tell you the 16th Ward Alderman in the city of St. Louis has gone on to a higher office ever since 1967. So um, the 16th Ward has an expectation, a level of expectation that their leadership does go to a higher level. So I would never not consider something. I can say that you are correct. Not only have I been active in Jeff City doing advocacy, I served on the Missouri Municipal League for six years. So I have put together a pretty good coalition across the state of Missouri when it comes to other municipalities and understanding how they work. And Joe Adams, who served on the Missouri Municipal League, is now the state rep out of University City. Mm -hmm. So I think having people who have municipal experience and seeing how the decisions made in Jeff City impact the decisions back home can be helpful. So that's not a yes or a no, that's a maybe. That's a let's talk after the April election. Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, if you decided to run, you probably would be formidable because the 16th Ward is completely within that district and you have the population base that would be pretty formidable. If you decide not to, it could be a free for all because mm -hmm. it's an open seat possibly for eight, eight years. I will ask you after the April election for sure. Nope. Anything else, older woman? <laughs> <laughs> uh, just that uh, my father always had a saying, you can ask me anything you want to ask me as long as you can accept the answer you do not want to hear. I accept that answer. Um, so thank you very much. And before we close our show out, I do want to make one correction from the last show. Apparently, when we were interviewing Todd Richardson, I mispronounced the city of Avaz, which is a town in Callaway County. A Twitter user named John Flavin and State Representative Travis Fistwater both told me that I had pronounced it Oxvass, which is incorrect. I would like to take this opportunity to apologize to the great people of that city. Um, I'm brought, I used to live in mid-Missouri. I know you are a former mid-Missourian. The, the region has a great history of, of fabulous town names, and I am ashamed that I did not pronounce that name right. So with that out of the way... You can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe at Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. You can follow Rachel on Twitter at... R. Lipman, two P's, two N's. And we can follow you on Twitter at... UDMCB. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening as always. And until next time, so long. So long.